0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network,
1: its staff and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal.
2: Welcome to the show today. I have a good question for you. When tragedy strikes, are you empowered or do you get really down and disempowered? Do you survive and thrive? Or do you instead give up and feel like you want to die? I have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Kelly McElrath. And she is going to talk to us about when tragedy strikes and how to be empowered to strive and thrive. And um, if you've survived a tragedy in your life, Kelly McElrath, the survivor coach, has suffered the loss of two children, major drug and alcohol addiction, the loss of both parents She's survived breast cancer, infidelity, and divorce, and, as she will tell us, an attempted suicide. She has survived and is having and living a wonderful life. And so I wanted to interview her so she can tell us all about her life, what it's like, and how to get through those tough times when tragedy actually just knocks us over knocks our feet out from under us and devastates us. So sometimes sur- surviving the things you have survived is just the bad and sometimes worse than bad, leading up to all the events that happened. And so listen in to Kelly McElrath so she can tell you what to do when tragedy strikes. Thanks for being here, Kelly. Thank you. The intro, everything about you, is pretty amazing. I think most people haven't had that much loss. And so you know that your life is different than most people's. Yes. What is your passion to try to help people with their loss, to tell people your
3: story? Tell me what your passion is. Well, my biggest passion is to help other people that have been through, you know, more than their fair share of tragedies, depression, suicidal tendencies, or attempted suicides. What happened to me is that I I did a search um, for suicide survivors, and there was pages and pages of Google results that was on helping people who have lost somebody to suicide. So it broke my heart because I thought, everybody's focusing on helping the people grieve instead of helping those of us that need help so we don't do it. And so that's when I really, really, it got within me that I've got to do something about this because all the tragedies leading up to You know, you can't talk to anybody about. And so I went to counseling, actually, up until um, the—it was on Wednesday night. I went to counseling. Saturday, I attempted suicide. So I couldn't tell my counselor because I knew he was required by law to say something, which I would be committed. I couldn't tell a pastor. Same thing. And I couldn't tell a friend. They'd freak out. And I sure couldn't tell my family. So I felt like in this bubble alone by myself. So if I would have had somebody to talk to, somebody that I knew it wouldn't frighten and they would just listen to me, that I would be okay. And so, you know, backtracking on my own process of what that all went through, I went through leading up to that day. I realized there, like you said, there's I'm different than most people. I don't really think so. I think there's tons of other me's out there that are afraid to talk, people think that we're sick because we have depression or we have a mental illness, and I don't believe that that's true myself. I think a lot of people do have it, but I know there's other me's, and that's what I want to find.
2: Well, and I think that people do at different stages of going through grief, grieving any loss, mm-hmm. just any loss, they, you know, feel that feeling of giving up. Yeah, And it sounds like you really didn't, reach out to a counselor and tell you were very, very, very severe. So by then you couldn't really tell them how how
3: how desperate you felt to make the pain stop. Well, actually, whenever I first found out my about my husband, you know, cheating and everything during the while I was fighting cancer. Once I found that out, I started down a deep spiral that I didn't realize was happening to me. I just thought I was sad because of the chemotherapy, you know, and trying to get through what had just happened to me. And then we ended up moving and then we went to counseling every week. But basically what I've been told is I had PTSD and because of the things that have happened in my lives, my life, it all happened to me too quick. So I, you know, I lost a baby, I lost my mom, you know, I I had miscarriage, you know, so many things happened back to back. And then when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was the same thing. So the majority of my tragedies all happen together. And so I never, you know, unfortunately, life doesn't stop for you to get over it. You know what I mean? It just keeps on going. Just keeps going.
2: Now, where are you? If we could back up, where are you from? I'm, I grew up in Garland, Texas. Really, so you're, in, you're from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up here. Um, and when did you meet your husband? In
3: 1993,
2: the same year my mom died. Your mom died first?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. So, how old were you when your mom died? 23. You mentioned that. So, that was a very huge, devastating event for you. Mm-hmm. Um, did your husband help you
3: through that when you met him? No, I honestly, well, if I can go back to when I lost my child, uh, I found out I was pregnant. I was with a guy that was just totally terrible. I mean, we had only been together a few times. And he, Um, I broke up with him because I was like, this is not the kind of guy I want to be with. Well, then I found out I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So back then, I just thought the right thing to do would be to get married. So we got married, and I had the baby way too early, and he was in the hospital for two weeks. And then he came home. I stayed home with him. And when he was about four months old, he passed away from crib death. death. Well, I did not know how to cope with something such as that. You know, I mean, I was— 17 at this time, yeah, 17, and didn't know what to do. Well, he was all into drugs, and I remember the night of his funeral, uh, some people that he hung out with saying that I should try drugs because it would really make me feel better. I mean, I just had the funeral of my child, and they had all been there.
2: And they believed that would help you. They did. So they were friends yes. offering you something they believed would help you deal with the pain. Yes. And I, and I think that people, and they say that is the greatest pain you can experience, the, the death of a child. Mm-hmm. And I think most people don't understand how deep, deeply that hurts, yeah. um, the amount of pain that is. And so the kinds of things people offer are usually not the right things to deal with it. Because oh. they, they're they just, I mean, don't you wish you could have drugged that pain away? Mm-hmm. Did that work?
3: It worked for a time. Oh, I it mean, did? Yeah, it worked for a time. Well, what happened is actually that night I tried um, cocaine, rebasing cocaine. And yeah, I felt so awesome. But I never got that feeling again. I mean, I felt calm, at peace. It, it's so what the drug does not do to you but is like a, a hook, I guess. And that I kept searching for years and years to try to get that feeling back that I felt that night. That one time. That one time. Oh. And so that's um, basically how I got through it. But I was raised to not do that. I was raised in drugs would kill you. I, I'd seen people, some of my best friends that became complete junkies, people that have died, things like that. So I knew I didn't want to be like that, but I didn't want to deal with it. I knew when I'd stopped, if I were to stop using, I would have to deal with it, that grief of my son. And I didn't want to do that. So, Did that get any easier as time went along with the cocaine? Did,
2: did you finally get to the point where you felt like you could deal with it? Or did you never feel like you could deal with it? So you just
3: kept using drugs? Well, what happened was um, about the time I was getting really, really bad. I worked, off, I worked during the day. I had a normal job, but I always used. I was yeah, a social, what do you call it, a functioning addict. So I kept using, and if I was, like, out of money and the sun was coming up and out of drugs, every time I would think to myself, I know better than this. Why am I doing this to myself? And I was making so much money I could have saved, you know, and every single time the thought would come to me, if my mom died, it would be the only thing that would wake me up. Really? That thought came to you? Every time. Every single time. Well, she was diagnosed with cancer. And so... I cleaned up for a few months, but she got better. So that went on for about a year and she went for her year checkup and she was, it transferred to her brain and some other places and she wasn't going to make it. So I, between that time and eight months later, I tried every drug I put my hands on, drank all the time, was the worst I'd ever been. And then I saw her in the funeral home and when I saw her, Actually, the people that buried my son buried my mom. Mm. And they called me late at night and said, I know your mom wants a clothes casket, but we really want you to come up here by yourself and see her. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do that. My family might be mad at me. You know, what am I going to do? And they're like, please, we'll stay here. It'll just be us. So I go up there and I walk in the funeral home and I look at her where she is. And she was just gorgeous. She didn't look like she had suffered one day of cancer, she looked like my mom. And she was just at peace. I mean, I could just tell she was at such peace. And I laid my hands on her chest and said, I'll never touch drugs as long as I live. And that's been 23 years ago.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So you walked out of there and you were able to quit.
3: hmm Cold turkey. Now, how did you know that if your mom died, that would work? Because it's almost like you foreshadowed that, yeah. you know? She was my best friend. I'm the baby. And, you know, we were just extremely close and... She meant the world to me. And I knew I couldn't think of anything else in my mind that was going to wake me up. And I guess, I don't know, that just for some reason I thought it would take something that tragic to make me stop using drugs. I didn't want to go to jail. You know what I mean? Right. So I guess in my mind, I imagined what kind of thing that would exclude going to jail or prison. And that was the only thing I could think of because she was the the person I was the closest to.
2: So a tragedy got you into drugs and alcohol. And a tragedy got you out of it.
3: Yes. That's interesting. I never even thought about it that way. But yes. So how
2: old were you then? I was 23 whenever. 23. She, yeah. So 17 to 23, that's five years. hmm Okay. Could you believe how long it had been? I mean, did the were the five years just
3: like a blur? Well, she was actually diagnosed three years after my son died. So I had like a three-year break. Well, if you want to call it a break. Mm-hmm. And then when she was diagnosed, you know, it's just like, to me, three years pass so quick once you lose someone. And I have gotten on through divorce because most people that have lose somebody to SIDS or a kid to SIDS. Their marriages don't make it. Right. So I went through divorce when I was, that was when I was 17. I got through a divorce when I was 18. And then she was diagnosed. It was just, you know, one thing after the other. I couldn't catch a break.
2: They say that. The death of a child can break up a couple Mm -hmm. because they grieve in different ways. Right. And they often take out their anger because like, you know, taking out your anger at God or taking out your anger at at who, like whose fault is it? So they intend to take out their anger at each other. Mm -hmm. And since they grieve in different ways, they can't really help each other grieve. They set off each other's grief. So there's lots of reasons. And so if you have a loss out there like that, you want to get help. You want to get in counseling, coaching, anything you can Mm -hmm. to work with people so that they can help you be successful at that. Right. And I know you would have learned that along the way. Mm -hmm. So then you met your husband. The second husband. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And so by this time, you've lost one child. You've gone through the drugs and alcohol and out of it. Your Mm -hmm. mother's death more than enough tragedy for one person already Mm -hmm. but you kept going I mean you just you were better yeah and I'm sure meeting him and being with him was a a good thing I Mm -hmm. mean it gave you it's amazing because love is romance is like a high right yeah so what happened after that
3: well when we met he was completely anti-drug he had already done his drugs in high school and went to rehab and was clean he's clean and sober he hated drugs which was good for me because it helped me not be tempted knowing I had a supporter there all the time. And so he was really a great husband, but there were minor things that he did. I'll tell you what they were. But in my mind, I finally got to all my friends have miserable marriages. If this is all that I have to deal with, it's the least of my worries, you know? Yeah. So before we got married, I caught him in this silliest lie and I couldn't even believe he would lie about something so ridiculous. And we had both quit smoking and he was smoking again. Was, it's your body, not mine. So he you was know? hiding the smoking. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm had no idea anybody would lie over something so simple that I'm thinking something huge has happened. So finally I'm like, I don't know if you're having an affair or I don't know what's going on. Then he realized where my mind was going, he's like, I've been smoking. Well, something in the back of my mind said If he's going to lie about something that's ridiculous, he's probably going to lie about, he's probably a liar, you know, probably going to lie about big things.
2: Yeah, they're scared to tell the truth. For whatever reason, they start learning to hide Mm -hmm. and lie. Um, But you do lose trust. When someone has hidden something, Yeah, and then you find out, especially the smaller it is. I mean, big things, of course, right? But the small things always take you back. If it's not something you would have lied about, you would always think, now why in the world would anyone lie about that? And if they, mm-hmm. and then that scares. There's a part of the brain that is based on keeping you protected, right? And it starts doing this if they will lie about something like that. Mm-hmm. What if it had been something big? They're definitely gonna lie about mm-hmm. that. And so you do, you lose trust. And when you lose trust in a relationship, it usually becomes hell, oh,
3: yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and I think you know that's how m- the majority of people pleasers are. You know they cover themselves up it's really a prideful thing but they cover themselves up to avoid confrontation and whatnot whatever their reasons are
2: yeah that's the scary thing if they hide mm-hmm. and pleasers really great people okay everyone loves pleasers yes the 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 more of a pleaser they are though um, I know that they most they have a very hard time. Being honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, they filter so that it comes out the way the person wants to hear it. Exactly, yeah. So they have this natural filter. um, And they want you to like them. They want you to not be mad at them. And they're terrified of conflict. Right. So they often distort the truth. That's probably the best way to say it. It They they just distort it. Mm -hmm. And so it can already be what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. But definitely when it's something they know it's going to upset somebody, right. logically, that they shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. They usually hide it. And so when they are found out, they usually say, you go, you lied. They usually say, I didn't lie. And so their worst thing is hiding. Yeah. But that is that is lying. If it's not the whole truth, because right. they tell parts, right, or right. pieces. So if it's not the whole truth, it isn't the truth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
3: So that's kind of what happened is that he would tell these little silly lies and... I would think more and more in my mind. You know, this is this really is a red flag. Okay, by now we're married, so I'm like, well, am I gonna divorce and line, over get my ticket? You know. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, then I would catch him off and on that looking at porn. Uh, so in my mind, I, that's when I thought, okay, at least he's not cheating. It's it's a random thing. Well, I only caught him randomly, but I didn't realize that. And so that kind of went on off and on. Every few years, I would find out something about it. So that was about now,
2: before you get past that. Mm-hmm. What does that do? Because I don't think that most men understand what that does to a woman. And I think that most women try to pretend it doesn't bother them, right? Uh-huh. Like, okay, this is just fine. And even Everybody women, women will even, you know, pretend so much and, you know, hide their emotions thinking that's being. Mm-hmm. Healthy or tough, like they don't want to be a weak woman or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I mean to have women go to strip joints with their boyfriends or spouses to mm-hmm. show them that I'm tough. I'm not like other women. But really, it's not true. It, it devastates women. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want a man looking at another woman, right. whether it be the neighbor or another lady. That's just her picture that you can never. Or my friend's to. picture, right? Right. I don't. You, you want to believe that they only want you and they love you and your body, and you don't want them lusting after
3: other, right? right? women's bodies definitely not looking at other naked women it's devastating well the hard part to that is whenever I did drugs I did nails during the day so at a salon and then that was definitely not a support enough to support my habit so I started working in strip clubs in the evenings well that's where I met him
2: this is after your mom died. Yes, you're working.
3: So okay. So, so well, before she even died, I was I was working in clubs just to make money for drugs.
2: How did you find out about that? How did you
3: come across that job to be able to do that? Did someone approach you? A friend of mine um, decided, you know, she was going to do it just for the heck of it. Okay. And so she was older than me, and so I was like, no way, because I was just that was the best response right there. Yeah. But then you. <laughs> well, then she went and she. Yeah. Made money. Called me on a Saturday morning, and she goes, guess where I went last night? And she told me, and she told me she'd made $2,000. I thought, oh, my gosh. That's where the hook was. That was the hook, yeah. That's
2: always the hook. Mm -hmm. And once you, whatever amount of money it is, once you get into a certain amount of money that you normally wouldn't make doing anything else in a short amount of time, whether it be drugs you know, working for a big company or or stripping, anything like that, drug dealing, it's very hard to go back to making minimum wage or 14 an hour. And so because it puts you in such an unreal world, and that's why they're paying you what they're paying you. Mm -hmm. Because there is a cost, an emotional cost and physical devastating cost Mm -hmm. to your life when you do that. So
3: it's almost like they're paying you for that cost. Mm -hmm. You just don't know it. Yeah. Well, I had grown up, you know, when I would go visit my dad, not very often, but when I did, I was there myself and he had played boy magazines all over the place. So wow. when I looked at them, I thought my first reaction was my mom doesn't look like this. So when I grow up, I have got to act like that, be like that and do that to keep a man. That's why my mom couldn't keep my dad. And that's exactly what I did. I'm so sorry you came across that as a kid. How old were you? Um, probably five. A lot of
2: kids are coming across it now. I mean, there oh, were a lot so before, easy. you know, but the numbers are crazy now because of the phones. Mm-hmm. Just in less danger about giving a kid a cell phone. Yeah. You know, they talk about now, try not to give a kid a cell phone because of brain tumors. The, the, they're not grown. Their brains aren't fully grown. So they started 10. By 20, they could have a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. So they're suggesting you not get them a phone. But I also would suggest because... They can get to, and most of them do, they get to porn. And it gets them hooked. A lot of it for free. I have 12 year olds hooked. Mm -hmm. So I am so sorry about that. So you thought, because my first thought was, you met your husband at a strip joint. Why would you want, he's coming and looking at naked women? Well, and
3: he was a manager of the bar, of course, but Uh, he was in transition, actually. He
2: was in transition.
3: transitioned from, he moved from Arizona to, or Atlanta to here. And he just got here and he'd actually, he was applying every day at other real jobs and his best friend worked there. And so he said, thank you. A friend. Right. Just go ahead and work here until you find a job. That's when I met him and he wasn't like the other guys I've ever dated. And shortly after that, I said, I I can't do this anymore. I just can't live my life like this anymore because I didn't do drugs and drink and all that stuff anymore. And when I walked in there, it was like a lighter. I could see, Oh my gosh, this is where I hang out. These are the people I see. And so I said I was going to quit, and he said, I'll quit with you. So that's kind of how it happened.
2: That's good. Actually, you both got out
3: together. Yeah. I do know
2: that most of the women I have seen that strip or have stripped, they said they were on drugs Mm -hmm. just to be able to deal with it. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so you weren't on drugs, so it would have been much harder. Oh, yeah. And so you and your husband got Uh out.
3: Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, though, that he had, because the same thing happened to him, yeah. his mom and his dad had porn in their houses from he was like three or four. So he was exposed to it. I mean, he had pictures of half-naked women on his um, walls when he was a teenager, totally fine with his parents. And so really wasn't a big deal to him. You know, he didn't understand. So it was hard, I'm sure, then for him to break free from it, which doesn't excuse the things he did, but still... It was, but about. it
2: it does. I mean, the men who are sexually addicted. now, I have women now that are sexually addicted yeah. that I see, but I didn't for a very long time. But men who are sexually addicted, they they definitely saw pornography before the age of eight, mm-hmm. usually. Um, and so they get hooked in, but they're not they're not addicted at that point. But somehow, later, when they see it again, it those are the men that get severely addicted. Mm-hmm. and um, you know, they had to have seen it when they were young. And it, it's sad when I hear that you saw it when you were little and he saw it when he was little. I know the struggle because I've worked with these people. And now they do have plans yes. to recover from that. Wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. Every man's battle. Yes. Um, and it, it's just, you know, um, an incredible journey that these people go on when they get help. Mm-hmm. But the sad thing is if they don't know about that, they can't stop. And the tragedy
3: just builds and builds and they hurt. They devastate their families. So I assume he did that. Well, and that's what I was going to say is so what happened was he definitely Okay, my first reaction was this is me god's punishing me because I was a stripper. Oh. And now of course this would happen to me. Yeah. So that was kind of the struggle. But again, if I told anybody else, friends, they would say, "You know what my husband does on a weekly basis? I mean, Gerald gives you so much" Uh, love and attention. He was a great, great husband. Outside of the, that, he was fantastic. I and mean, so you mean wonderful. he cheated? Is that what you say? Outside of that, or he looked at pornography? Yeah, all yeah the he time. looked at por- pornography all the time. I have no idea how long he had been cheating. But oh, okay. At that time, I only knew that he had been doing por- pornography.
2: So again, your friends are minimizing that, saying he's a great, he's a great man. Otherwise, I just need to let it go. Right.
3: Yeah, because he was a fantastic father. We never argued. We could talk for hours. That was my only complaint, really.
2: Well, and if you had, and they had known the the hell that your husband lived in in his own in himself. I mean, yeah. these men say that it's, it it does. It's just this life of deep, deep shame and this horrible addictive cycle that they're in. That they can't. They want to get out of as well. They mm-hmm. just don't believe they can. Yeah. And so you you want you, if you love them, you want to help them get out of mm-hmm. that. And so your friends were giving you. The wrong advice, right. okay? It isn't to necessarily leave, but it's to, if you're going to stay, get help. Get him help. Put him, yeah. in, put him in treatment. There's treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, demand it. And that's the great thing today. But you wouldn't have known
3: that. No. Gosh. Actually, I, we did go to a counselor, but it was in, like a, it was in a mental institution where they helped those kind of people. I don't know why I was referred to them, but we went in, and she told my husband to leave and let leave the room and let her talk to me. And she basically said I needed to start watching porn with him to help him. And I told her she had lost her mind and got up and walked out the door.
2: Well, on that note, let's take a break. Okay. Okay. That was just terrible advice. All right. I'm so sorry about that. We're going to take a break. When we get right back, we're going to talk about what Kelly did after all these losses so that she can help you know how to survive and thrive. So stay right here. We'll be right back.
0: Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Hazlitt, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to lifesolutionscoachingandcounseling.com or email them at LifeSolutions cc at yahoo.com
2: Sunshine Herbs in Saginaw, Texas on Main Street Business 287 has all of your supplement needs and healthy food products so my suggestion for you visit Sunshine Herbs today and let their knowledgeable staff who know all their products and their naturopathic doctor lead you to a life of health and wellness so that you too can live well
0: Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed.
1: You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: Hi, we're back with Kelly talking about surviving tragedy. And if you've survived a tragedy, she knows that you know there are keys to getting through really hard things. And that's what she wants to pass on. If you are in a tragedy, you know, and you don't feel like you can get through it, Kelly's here to tell you, and me too that you can, you can. So listen close so you can survive and thrive. Welcome back. Thank you. Okay, so you just told us that with your husband's pornography addiction that your friends and told you just chill, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. And then you went for help at a... At a um, counselor. Well, a mental health hospital. Yes. Oh, and a counselor. Yes. And they told you to just... They sent him out because obviously he didn't need any help. <laughs> that you needed to just listen to pornography, watch pornography with, with your husband. And then on break, I said, did you do that? And on break, you said, no. I'm like, yes, I'm so glad. That would have made you sick. Because yes. it does. It messes the brain up. And so it definitely changes the brain. That's why I'm getting women addicted now. Mm-hmm. It takes longer for women. But what did you do instead? Well, I knew it was
3: crazy. And it was actually fearful for me because I thought, if this is the advice that people are giving people that are in this situation, that is not going to work. No. (laughs) So um, basically for years and years and years after that, he said he quit. And I didn't ever catch him for a very long time. So our marriage thrived because everything else outside of that was really wonderful. So we, you know, traveled around places with our kids being young and had a great time. And I never had caught him for a long time. So, but I still, in the back of my mind, you know, say every time we had sex, in my mind, I would think, who was he thinking about?
2: Yeah, and I think all women are like that, uh-huh. you know, wondering. Yeah. And, and I think that men are like that if they're they've caught their wife doing it, mm-hmm. looking at men or talking to men or yeah. being with men. Okay, so it's not only women that worry. But so I assume he kept on and on. You said before to me on break that he got worse with a jobs with job, horrible job struggles. And yes. so, how many years before it all
3: ended? Um, well. In hindsight, it was probably our whole entire marriage. I just didn't know about it, our whole marriage. Right. Okay. Yeah. When he lost his job is, the, is when I backtrack in my mind and think that's when, because he had never been through a tragedy. I mean, he'd never been through anything really bad in his life at all. So I personally believe that he lost his job, was without a job for five months. It was really a miserable time. And that was the start of him doing more than looking at porn.
2: So, he started soliciting women, or turning to women, actually, to act out the pornography. Yeah, that's what happens. So, you found out, and then did you just up and leave him, or did it
3: take a while before? Well, actually, uh, so in 2009, he lost his job, and when he got a new job in October of 2009, 2010, like, he was there 90 days, he got insurance, and my mom died when she was 53, so you're supposed to check yourself 10 years before your mom was diagnosed, which was at 50. Oh. So I had just turned 40 and thought, I have insurance now, I might as well do a self-exam and get a mammogram and all those things. So I put soap on my hand and touched my right breast first and the very moment I touched it I felt something and I thought, what? That's weird. You know. So I checked the other side, maybe it's the same over here, no. And then I was convinced, I mean, there, there's no possible way it could be something bad. So I thought it might be um, um, something from, with my period. So I thought, well, I'll wait till I have my next period, check it again. Still there. Mm. So I thought, well, I should probably go get this checked out. Went to my gynecologist. She said, she didn't ask me. She told me, here's your appointment and where to go to get a mammogram. So long story short, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I had a double mastectomy and chemo and several, you know, reconstruction surgeries. And during that time, he was the best caretaker. But he started going out of town all the time.
2: Right. And so he was he was having trouble in general already. I dealing so. with his own life, okay. But then the, your tragedy hit. Yes. And that is one that, you know, spouses say it's just devastating because they um, know they could lose you forever.
3: Yes. Yeah. And I think he had just came out of the whole job thing, feeling less than a man, all that, and now I'm diagnosed with cancer. Two big things to him that he's never gone through. So I did not know this was going on because I had chemo and my brain was all foggy. Chemo brain. Yeah, I had chemo brain major. So I didn't have time to be worried about what he was doing. I was focusing on getting better and fighting cancer. So after my last treatment, um, and like I said, the biggest thing was he was acting really well, he went out of town more times than he ever had before and more often, and I couldn't figure out why. Um, and there are important dates. Like my first chemo, he was out of town. When I wow. shaved my head, he was out of town. Those kind of things. So he just couldn't handle I, and, I and, guess. Know, It's interesting
2: because you went through a lot of tragedies, and you made it through each one. Mm-hmm. And there are people that their life really hasn't been that hard. I mean, things have come to them easy. Right. Yeah. And their, their struggles are different than deep tragedies. Right. Okay. And right. and they'll complain. I mean, they'll, you know, I see all kinds of tragedy when people come in. And the perspective is they're having such a hard time if they, like, had a flat tire that day or whatever. Their or their dad is just a horrible yeah. person. Right. They haven't suffered the loss. But the tough thing about that, the truth is. You get stronger through tragedy. You get stronger over time when Mm -hmm. you've had a harder time. So like these kids today, they're growing up with hardly going through it. Their parents protect them from everything. They can't handle hardly anything. Mm -hmm. A lot of them can't even get through high school or can't handle the stress of college. So they drop out. I mean, Mm -hmm. they just can't handle stress. And so the difference is your husband didn't, he couldn't handle that. You could tell he had all, his coping skill was, Pornography, women, right. whatever. That's the only coping skill he, he had. had. Yeah. yeah. Well, Because um, he had put the drugs behind. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. that's. So how did you get through all this? Can you let people know how in the world you were able to, to really mentally be able to handle going through? Because when you found out you had cancer and you're going through all that and your husband seems to be okay now and he's helping. I would think that would have really helped. But what do you think has been the key to your ability to getting through everything?
3: Well, I honestly, um, cancer, I've been through a lot of things, but cancer I handled better than I've handled anything else. I'm not sure why, so I don't know why. But I just knew I was going to be okay, and I I, I don't know. There's something within me. I guess now I've figured out that there's a driving force within me. That's my authentic self that I dig deep enough, and i I figured out but then after I thought he was doing something worse than porn
2: mm-hmm.
3: just after my last treatment um, I got hired a private investigator found out he had been screwing around and had been going on for quite some time uh, I was beyond devastated I mean because I was dealing with what I had just been through with the cancer right now this and about a week later he got a job offer in Georgia so I'm like oh my gosh what am I going to do I can't stay here myself. We have to go. Hmm. So we went and um, So you moved with him? Yes. And so I wasn't dealing with it. I didn't I didn't know I didn't know at this point how to deal with it one, but after everything else I'd been through, it's like everything came crashing down on my Heart and my head and my mind just. Well, you would have gone, gone in shock.
2: You know, it's interesting with sex addiction, they used to say, you know, with, they kind of clustered it with other addictions mm-hmm. and that the spouse was like co dependent or co addict or whatever. They don't say that anymore. They definitely now say that the wife experiences deep trauma. Mm-hmm. So they do trauma recovery with the spouse. And, um, and that works mm-hmm. because you truly have post traumatic stress, right? Yes. Right then, though, you had acute. Traumatic stress. And so you go into a shock and you were already, you know, your body was already, there was a fog, right? Mm -hmm. You were already, you had chemo, bread, You were recovering for for all this. Um, And you would have a kind of a form of that. It is kind of like this. You you still are in a fog and Mm -hmm. you just go numb and your arms and legs are moving, your mouth's moving, you're functioning. But a lot of people, even their memory of all that is foggy. You know, yeah.
3: Well, he, um, you know, we did go to counseling, but I could, once he, once I hired the private investigator and it was in black and white and he couldn't, yeah. you know, put it off as it was a lie, he became the person, he was living a double life. So the person that he was hiding, he became full, full blown. Till this day, the man I was married to is nowhere to be found. My kids say he's a, he's like a stranger, right? You know, so after that, and I kept, we went to counseling for almost two years. But during that time, my gut just kept telling me nothing's different, that he is not changing. I just knew it. And then Whitney Houston passed away. and She killed herself. Right. And when I heard that story, this, I mean, passing thought just said, if I ever die, that's how I'm going to die. And I never really even thought about it again. But
2: see, this is the thing when someone you know or hear about commits suicide. They say that, what, a thousand people from that, commit suicide because of that even if they didn't know them yeah and it's it you know they don't really and when they looked at generations uh, like the henry and the henry fonda uh family that there was suicide and after that first suicide there was a suicide in every generation after that and so you create that mm-hmm. in other people by whitney doing that yeah. and of course you know she didn't know that mm-hmm. but um I hear this a lot. And Whitney Houston, I've heard it from lots of people say that. And once they heard that, the idea was in their head down the line. Yeah.
3: Well, that's what happened. And the worse it got, we never got along from that point forward. It was fighting all the time, me finding out more and more stuff. And so I just thought to myself, okay, if I find out that he hasn't changed at all, I am, I'm done. So long story short, I did. And I did exactly what she did. and Meaning what? Uh, You tried to kill yourself? Yes. Yeah. Same thing in the bathtub and took all my pills, drank a whole lot. And he, for some reason, probably because he felt like crap, because he knew I had busted him yet again. Um, He took the kids to the mall. And normally on a Saturday, because I was so depressed, I would be fine just staying home by myself. And so they went to the mall for a couple hours, two hours, I was passed out in that water. And he just had a gut feeling. And said, I'm worried about mom. Let's just come go make sure she's okay. So he busted down the door because I had it locked. Paramedics came. I was on life support for many days and in the hospital for a while. And when I was in the hospital, you know, I talked to all, all kinds of psychiatrists. And one psychiatrist asked me, When did you um, start your plan? I'm like, What are you talking about? He goes, Anyone who tries to kill themselves has a plan. And I'm thinking, I did not have a plan. I mean, no. So he keeps asking me questions, and it dawns on me. Oh, my gosh. When I heard about Whitney Houston, it was planted a seed in my mind. Right. And that I started building upon that and creating what I would do. I mean, I knew exactly what I would do, but I didn't realize in my head what, what I was right. doing. You Isn't know subtle. Yeah. Yeah. And I had no idea by this point that I had sunk into a terrible, terrible place, not thinking correctly you know, it was it was terrible. I cried all the time, drank all the time, stayed in bed under the covers all the time, that kind of thing.
2: Yes. Now, what's interesting about that when you say that, when you look at everything you went through and everything you survived through, you just were a fighter. And um, like your shirt, she's a fighter. I just <laughs> noticed that. <laughs> okay. Yet when your husband started pursuing other women, not the pornography, but when he truly started being with other women, that is a tragedy that it's like women can handle anything, almost anything, okay, mm-hmm. until their husband is with another woman. Yeah. And when, that, when he puts a woman between the two of you, um, women just die. I mean, they truly just, I've never seen them get so sick Mm-hmm. as what I see mm-hmm. when their husbands do that. Yeah. And um, and it, and when it's addiction, there's more than one. And so what's weird about it is that it's different than when a woman says, well, if he has an affair, I'm, I'm out of here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and people say that, I hear young people say that all the time, and I always think, you know, right, well, you know what, there's more to marriage. You find that out, you think you'll leave, and it's much harder than that. Mm-hmm. Um but when it comes to this, you know, they're sick. Yeah. And that's what's a, it's like they're sick and there's more, it's a bunch of women. So different women. And so you don't, how in the world can you compete with every woman out there? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and there are billions, right? Yeah. And so you just in a way give up. It's like, there's no way they really get them back. And when they fall into that, they they do, there's a part of them that just disappears, And they become this person you don't know. Right? There's just this little piece of them that you still recognize. But and it's almost like people choose something that they know with other people has taken them over, just Mm -hmm. like with drugs. Mm -hmm. You knew drugs takes everyone else over. Yeah. But there's an almost an arrogance that you can control it, Mm -hmm. and that's what these men do as well. Yeah. I can control it. I just want to go have sex with somebody. That's all. Or mm-hmm. I just want to look at these pictures. It's not going to be an emotional attachment. It's not cheating per se. It's just, you know, I can separate that. So they split off and they right. go do that. And they don't, they don't think of it as competing with you. Mm-hmm. They're just dealing with their sickness. Right. But that's not any way how you see it because you're not sick mm-hmm. that way. And so for you, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. And so that's, made, that's what made you want to kill yourself in the well, midst of everything. Well, and when
3: I found out, I was bald. And mm. I had no breasts, basically, mm. and I was just scarred up and all of that. So it was just... That's just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It was terrible. Oh. So he
2: found you, thank God, and you were saved. Mm-hmm. And then what did you do at that point?
3: Well, obviously, when I woke up, I was really pissed. Um, <laughs> I did not want to be woke up. You know, I wanted to not be here. So I woke up still the same way I was, except for now... My kids are. My girls were very upset. They were really the only people I was even concerned about. I really could care less about anybody else but my kids. And I was. just How many like kids? Two. You have. You
2: have two, two daughters. Girls?
3: Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I did. I did hurt my sister uh, and my brother, but once your kids, you know, the, the shame and the guilt was overwhelming. So I went through a time where I was trying to deal with that. Yeah. And so he actually picked me up from the hospital and drove me home, pulled up next to the driveway, and let me out, and never came back. so he left me in that state with my kids in the house where it happened, where all the whole marriage went south, everything
2: so he never came back, never visited the kids anything ever
3: he um He he did uh, do a good job in supporting us financially. That's good. But he was—it was a very long road because I'm sure he was dealing with his own guilt. Right. You know, so it was—it was overbearing for him. He couldn't risk it. The kids were realizing. Right. You know, they they all do that. They all do
2: that. They all—if they walk away, you know—if they don't stay, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and if they walk away, they walk away from the kids too. And it's not their mind is so self. You know, because they can't even function in their old world. Yeah. They're conscious like an addict. You know, you become very inward. Right. That it just becomes about them and their life. And they usually end up with someone else pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. it becomes about that life. Yes. <laughs> You're getting a call. Um, and so that life is their new family. Their new spouse. And it's almost like the shame of dealing with the past. Mm-hmm. But it usually happens again in the new relationship, for right? oh, I'm sure. And so then they've got that hell to live with and they can barely function there, more or less go visit their other kids.
3: Mm-hmm. So it's just really sad for the kids. More than anything else this is very sad. But in really it did so much good for my kids. It made them so strong. Whereas before right. they thought every marriage is perfect, they get yes. along. And you know, I'm so glad they had a little reality check there. But so Anyway, I grew up in Texas, and here I am in Georgia. And I had this one friend, and she just helped me tremendously. And she was the one friend I knew because I am pretty um, direct and can be intimidating to people. And she was not afraid of me at all. And so, if I didn't answer, if I didn't answer my phone or text, she would come, and she would either sit at my door, and if I would answer the door, she would sit at the end of my bed until I was better, and. You know, because there were still times that I, I was really struggling. I don't like, I would do it again because of the kids. But if something happened to them, oh, I'd be gone in a heartbeat right. thought, in my mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So anyway, I moved back to Texas. I just knew this was my home. And I didn't know where I was going to live, anything. Me and my oldest daughter, we packed our car. And my forerunner runner as full as we could possibly get it. She could stay with my ex-sister-in-law. And I ended up like two days before finding a place to live with some friends of mine for about four months until I found this apartment. And when I got here by myself, I loved it. I love being alone. But it was during that time when I did have my bad days that I had to figure out something. If I didn't figure out on my own how I was going to not kill myself, then I was probably going to have a really hard time not doing it. And so I started just... Little by little, one day I was in bed, did not want to get out. It was on Monday. I, Mondays are terrible for people like me. And I thought, I'm going to just get up and just take a shower. I didn't think about it helping me. So I got up, took a shower, got dressed, and I felt really pretty. And I felt fine. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I wrote that down. And then I came up with this thing. You know, people think that, that suicidal people or people that have attempted suicide are sick, as in S-I-C-K. Yeah. So I decided this sick s i c Sick trick. So basically, what it is is, if your mind's going crazy and you're on that downward spiral, is that you stop, you think about, okay, wait a minute, you know, completely stop your whole mindset at the moment. You investigate: is this true? Is it just this moment? What's really going on here? And then you clear, you clear it out of your mind and start over. Because but once you in, once you stop yourself from the downward spiral and once you investigate. You realize if you just said it out loud, oh, my children hate me. I'm never going to get a job, blah, 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 blah. You realize that that's not true. It's just what's going through your mind. If you wouldn't speak it to another person, it's probably a good idea that it's not true.
2: And it's a lie. It is a lie. That's those automatic negative thoughts that Dr. Amon says are ants. Yes. And so you need to kill the ants, ignore them, Mm -hmm. right, or kill them. And so by you're doing that by stopping, investigating. And what was the third one? Clear. Clear. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've even told people just stop. Even stop, go for a walk. Yeah. And, and you'll find your clear, right? So mm-hmm. you want to, so yours is the SIC.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, what about from there after clear? So then I created um, the Survivor Coach. So I'm, on, I'm working on my website right now. And on all social media, you can find me, the, the Survivor Coach. And uh, yes, you can email me at thesurvivorcoach at gmail.com. And I just basically uh, take people through a program. It's a program I've been through before called Mindset for Success. Right. But I've adapted it to people like me. they have been through tragedies and traumas and how to deal with that, uncover the beliefs that, you know, every trauma makes you have a limiting belief that can destroy your life.
2: Now, you went through coaching when? Because I remember you going through coaching. When? When 2007, was that? 2007. I think it was. And so now at 2016, you're you're the survivor coach, mm-hmm. and you're you're helping other people. You coach them to survive and thrive. Yes. And so your program,
3: how long does it take? It takes um, nine months, but I am offering a group setting that's more affordable. So uh, my website will be up any day. They can check that out, sur- thesurvivorcoach.com, and. Um, because the group is not as expensive and some people like to be in a group with like-minded people. you know if we're all alike, we all understand what it's like to be in this moment you know right. and offer tips and help to really reach out to people and that also includes some personal coaching.
2: How would you feel to come back next week and go through and actually coach like we'll do a coaching so they can you can actually help people who've been listening that mm-hmm. need you to help them. And kind of take us through some of that. Would you be willing to do that? Yes. Because that way we can get more into how to really help people. Okay. And for them to give them a little sample of, you know, some things to help them. Though Mm -hmm. it's not all of coaching, right? There's tips that you can give them. Mm -hmm. And they would really love that. Because these are a lot of tragedies that we've gone over, guys. And um, she's gotten through them. And I know she has more tools. And I want you guys to get them. So hang in there. We'll have you back, Kelly. And um, it's Kelly McElrath. And let's spell your last name. M-C-E-L-R-E-A-T-H. And if you um, will go to her website, thesurvivorcoach.com.
3: Yes, it's not And ready check yet, it out. but it will be. Oh,
2: okay. Okay. It'll be ready soon. But by next week, yeah. you'll have the tips here. So you guys can listen again. And we want you to thrive. And, um, you know, when you go through tragedies like you have, it can take a very long time. It yes. took me 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I don't want you guys to take 10 years, right? right? We want you to bounce back nine months. And it sounds like a long time, but it is nothing. If you can be okay in nine months after these tragedies, each one of these or all of these, Mm -hmm. can you imagine what a blessing that would be? Okay, guys, thank you for listening. If you would like to coach with me, then just go to either my email, uh, ablivingwell at gmail.com. You can go to my website, livewellshow.com. Or you can call me at Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling, 817-232-1363. And I would love to coach with you or counsel with you. And you guys, look up Kelly, Kelly McElrath. Thank you for coming, Kelly. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you next week. Okay. And you guys, we'll see you next week. In the meantime, live well.
1: Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beale airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week.
0: and Management.